Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Can you believe it? Well, we're a week out from Christmas. And I pray this season, more than ever, you'll see what love has done. The birth that happened in Bethlehem that holy night didn't appear different from any other night to the people in that little village. To them, it was just another birth of a baby. But to some, it was very special. It was to the shepherds good news of a great joy, as was expressed to them. In fact, it became the best news that they could ever have imagined. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be on the hillside outside of Bethlehem in the darkness when all of a sudden the sky lights up and an angel is talking to you? It's pretty amazing. Well, that angel had a message, and uh, we read it in Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, where he records, in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. There was a real message in that song to the shepherds, but how could they take it in? With all that was happening, and now the choir of angels is singing and giving glory to God, did they, really, did they really understand what God was saying to them? They would later, but God had a powerful message to them. A survey was taken some years ago, and people were asked, if you could hear a three-word sentence that was spoken to you, what would you like that sentence to be? And uh, there was the number one response. Can anybody think what that might be? I love you. That was it. Number two was I forgive you. And number three was dinner is ready. <laughs> I don't know. We're, I'm not sure if they were serious about that one, but I guess that's good news. And, uh, you know, those first two, though, I love you and I forgive you, those represent the deepest needs of the human heart, don't they? Those are the words that we all want to hear from those around us and probably don't hear often enough. But those are the words that we desperately need to hear from our maker and our judge. I love you. I forgive you. Because we know we need his love and we know that we need his forgiveness. Well, that's the message that really came through to the shepherds that night. And they had to respond to that. And in fact, they did. When you first heard the news of Jesus, many of you got that message. You realized, wow, God does love me. God does forgive me. And wow, that changes everything, doesn't it? And, and then maybe through the years and circumstances come along and life happens and it gets a little fuzzy. 
And maybe we're not so sure God loves us as much as we once realized. Or maybe we're not quite as confident of the forgiveness that he offers to us. And so what I want us to do is look at a few passages this morning to remind us of God's love and God's forgiveness. And, and if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, boy, I really urge you to listen to what his message is to you about love and forgiveness. There's an outline in your bulletin. I've just set forth three principles about God's love as we consider what it has done. First, God's love brought joy to the world, giving light to those in darkness. I want to move from Luke's gospel over to Matthew's gospel, his telling of the story of Jesus, because he speaks of some other folks, not the shepherds. It says in chapter 2, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now we know from the writings of scholars and historians that the Magi were actually probably from Persia, which is modern-day Iran. They were, as they're often referred to, wise men. They studied in a court of wise men and informed the king. And one of the disciplines that they had was studying the stars. But how did they know that this star had special significance that related to a king? Some scholars have put forth uh, a theory that I think is a bit speculative, but I think it has a lot of merit. Because if you go back some centuries, about 600 years, when the kingdom of Babylon invaded Judah, the southern kingdom, they took those people captive. And among them was a young man named Daniel. And uh, they were taken over into Babylon, and he served under the king of Babylon, which would have been Nebuchadnezzar. But eventually, the Persian kingdom swallowed that kingdom, and Daniel served in that court with the wise men as well. In fact, he was the head of them and then under two more regimes. But he would have known the scriptures and the Torah, the law of God, and among them would have been the book of Numbers. And it talks about the star rising out of Jacob and would sig signal this king that was coming. It's very feasible that they knew this. Maybe they'd heard this passed down. But in any case, they responded to the star that rose in the east and they followed that star. In fact, today, uh, God is still not using stars per se that I know of, but he speaks in interesting ways to people that don't have churches on every corner or the gospel you know, coming forth from radio stations or over television because in that very region, Persia, which is Iran, um, our Iranian friends have told us, and uh, they came here several years ago, Muslims who came to Christ in our own church family, uh, that they know many people have come to Christ through visions and dreams. God is still appearing to people. We had a guest speaker last week that shared a few minutes in our service who spoke of that very thing. He's one of our missionaries that we support. And last Sunday evening, the missions committee got to hear just more detail of what is happening there with the refugees, but also stories of so many in the Middle East now coming to Christ. Hal Jones has been telling us this for years about uh, the hundreds and hundreds of people that he's encountered who've come to Christ through visions and dreams. The point is, 
God reaches out to people wherever they are. And if they'll be faithful to respond to the light that they've been given, they'll receive more light. That's what happened to the Magi here. It says, after coming to the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell to the ground and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, the Magi left for their own country by another way. You'll notice they came to a house. Because when they saw the star, that was the birth, but it took them a period of time to make their way to Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem. But the point is, they didn't have a lot of light, but they responded to the light they had and found him. The American Atheist Association is up to it again this year. Last year they put billboards outside of major cities with a picture of Santa Claus suggesting that people uh, should not go to worship services. Santa gave them permission. This year they, they're putting up more billboards and they're suggesting that people will have a merrier Christmas if they don't go to a Christmas service. And a fellow named Jim Dennison, he writes a blog and he comments on this. And he says, you know, the atheists seem really intent on dissuading people of faith. Why would they if they're so sure of their position when you think about it? But he mentions Richard Dawkins, who's probably one of the most vocal atheists in our generation, who's kind of on a vendetta to help try to help people move away from religion and faith. And he said, Richard Dawkins, um, who wrote The God Delusion, and his contemporaries, his fellow atheists, refer to themselves as the brights, meaning they're brighter than people who have faith. And in fact, um, one of those t-shirts that uh, is worn by atheists proudly proclaims, if you could reason with religious people, there would be no religious people. And Dennison says, you know, they're really not brighter than other folks. They just don't get it. They don't understand spiritual things. They're in spiritual darkness. I know that's really true. But he said, let's set forth some of the brights among us who have faith in Christ. And he lists all kinds of people. I'll mention a few. He talks about Robert George, who is a law professor at Harvard and at Princeton and is regarded as America's most influential conservative Christian thinker. Robert George. Dr. Francis Collins with the National Institute of Health, who's a committed Christian. Or here's a name that you're probably familiar with, William Lane Craig, who's an author and philosopher. In fact, he challenged Richard Dawkins to a debate at Oxford University, and Dawkins wisely declined because uh, he would have lost that debate. Now, when they suggest that you can have a merrier Christmas without worshiping the Lord. That makes about as much sense, Denison says, as saying you can have a happy birthday without a birth. Because Christmas is about Christ's Mass, about worshiping Him. And uh, that's the whole point of it. He says the problem isn't that atheists and secularists are smarter than other people. 
as, as I said, they, they remain in spiritual darkness. A recent New York Times article even admitted this when it said that they, many of them at the New York Times and the Washington-based media, quote, don't quite get religion and understand, nor do they understand the role of religion in people's lives. I think that's true, but my question is, have they looked? Have they responded to the light that they have been given? Because David, a thousand years before Christ, said this, in your light do we see light. If we respond to the light that God has given to us, we're going to see more. But if we reject whatever light we've been given, we'll remain in the darkness. So let's move from the atheists to the Christians, to the people that go to church, because we can remain in darkness, can't we? Oh, we may know the Lord. We may even have believed and received forgiveness, and yet there can be spiritual darkness in our lives because we remain there rejecting the call to obedience he's given us we'd rather not forgive we'd rather not love we'd rather not move into those areas or away from those areas where he's prompting us and obedience brings light into our lives and so if god seems distant to you this year if if there seems to be darkness in your heart or life look for the light Look for the ways in which the Lord is prompting you to turn, to change, to move, and we'll find ourselves like the Magi uh, in the presence of Jesus, worshiping him. Secondly, God's love brought joy to the world, giving hope to the hopeless. Our world today, when you look at the world scene, is a mess. It really is a mess, but the first century to a person in Palestine would have seemed the same way. What a mess that was in. They were presently under Roman rule. I mean, there were soldiers all over in Palestine, and the religious scene was bleak as well. The average person seemingly had no access to God and certainly not a relationship with God. The prophets hadn't spoken for 400 years. They, we now look back, and scholars call that the the silent years, 400 years since a prophet had spoken to Israel. And if the average person in Israel was without hope, the shepherds were devoid of all hope. I mean, when it came to so many things, because they were ostracized from their society. They were considered unclean. They couldn't even go into the temple courts because of that. And so God seemed so distant to them. And when it came to him, many of them probably had given up hope. And yet it was to them that the angel came with the announcement. And so they had to respond to that announcement. And it tells us in verse 15 how they did. It says, when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. If they'd been hopeless, 
Now they were filled with hope. If there had been no joy out there in those dark hills, now they were filled with joy. In fact, so much so, they couldn't keep it to themselves. They were passing out invitations to Christmas Eve services on the way back. Not really, okay? But they were telling everybody about what they had seen and what they had heard uh, in this message from the angel. Hope and hopelessness come in varying degrees, right? I began to think about that this week, and I thought about, for some reason, this last year's baseball season and the Chicago Cubs fans who had been hoping against hope for a world championship. 108 years they hadn't had one. And uh, then, here they come into the playoffs and into the World Series, and are they going to lose it again? Which has happened again and again because of the curse of the billy goat. But anyway, they won. And after they did, so many wonderful stories came out of that about their joy. I mean, I heard about a guy who took a radio out to listen to the games uh, to his father's graveside, and he played it and listened to the game out there because his dad had always hoped to hear them win a championship. That's great, that kind of joy. But there's a different kind of a hopelessness that is infinitely greater. When you turn on the television and we look at the scenes from Aleppo in Syria where they're bombing and these buildings are coming down and there's people in there and they're trapped in the rubble and many die. I, I read that 450,000 people have died uh, in that civil war since they started bombing and how many more have been injured and they are hopeless and they show pictures of those orphans just pleading for help from the outside, somebody to help them. And I think, wow, we can't, most of us can't even identify with that. We have to realize, I don't have any problems. And yet, it's true that we, even in our culture, can experience discouragement and sadness. And I think especially during the Christmas season. I think that it's exaggerated during the Christmas season for a lot of reasons. One is uh, people that maybe have experienced the loss of a loved one. Some of you have this past year. Or maybe uh, have been diagnosed with an illness and have been battling that or have a friend or a, a family member who's in that circumstance struggling with that illness and seeking treatment. That's discouraging. There are times when people have financial challenges and hardships and, and that's really difficult and, and probably exaggerated during this season because people look around and see others who are joyful and giving presents and seemingly experiencing so much joy. Appearances aren't, aren't always what they seem though. Most people have issues and problems in their lives but we tend to believe that we are in you know, greater trouble than others. And yet there are real problems in our lives, and we can acknowledge that. Sometimes we exacerbate it. Sometimes we uh, don't help it because uh, we have too high expectations. We think everything should just be problem-free, and uh, we have that kind of feeling, especially around the Christmas season. We set our expectations up there, and then when they're not met, we're depressed. I remember as a kid, uh, looking so forward to Christmas, and I love it when kids have that attitude and view, but I also remember the year when we came through the Christmas season and 
the presents are open and there, you know, the tree is getting a little brown and, and I'm thinking, is that all there is and I got to go back to school? I mean, that's a sad moment. Well, that happens for adults too. When they're looking forward to family gatherings, yet there's conflict and uh, stress, family fighting that is happening. And so we're discouraged. Sometimes uh, we turn the wrong direction. We, you know, go off of a diet and just kind of just eat or maybe drink uh, more than we should or whatever. I mean, earlier I talked about three-word sentences that, that we love to hear. There's also three-word sentences that I've decided I don't care for. I mean, for instance, I'm uh, just putting some salad dressing on, and I hear a voice behind me, Whoa, that's enough. <laughs> that's D. Or I'm putting some potato, uh, butter on my potatoes. That's enough butter. I don't like those three-word sentences, but I know they're probably good for me. Of course, when she's not around, I'm really disciplined, of course. <laughs> but again, we compare our situation to others, and uh, we tend to spiral downward. There's a church down the street, Epiphany, going to have a blue Christmas service this week on the darkest day of the year, 21st. And I talked to Irene Tanabe, the rector over there, and she said they have prayers, they have songs, they light a candle. And that can be helpful for people, really encourage them. And so maybe that'd be helpful to you. But I'd like to suggest some other things as well. If you're feeling down this Christmas season, don't isolate. Don't withdraw from other people. Press in. Find what's happening. Do go uh, to friends' homes or to... Uh, small groups, and just make the opportunity to get with some other brothers and sisters in Christ. Spend more time in His presence personally. Set aside sometimes just to be in the Word and prayer. I mean, Philippians, read through that book through this season, talking about His coming as well. And uh, you'll find that you can rejoice, as Paul says. And again, he'll say, rejoice. We, we can choose to do that. We can also, during a time like this, take advantage of the place we live. Get out in nature. Take a walk, take a hike, and just see the beauty that God has made. And maybe if that blesses you or brings joy to you, you can watch a sunset. Just make some time to do that. Or some of us don't know it, but the sun still rises. You can actually catch a sunrise. And uh, here's the one that I really want to encourage you in. If you want to be encouraged during this season and lift the blues, serve someone. Intentionally go out of your way to serve someone that you know is in need. Maybe it's somebody that's lonely through this season. Maybe a widow or widower, maybe uh, an elderly person, but whoever it is, just go serve someone. Maybe it's a tangible need that you know that someone has, and if we go out of our way to meet that need along the way, we're blessed. Yeah, there will be people on Christmas morning next week that will go over to Women's Way at the Salvation Army and bring presents to these women in recovery and their children will be there. And never do that without coming away knowing that, well, maybe they've been blessed, but we've received the joy. Whatever it is, if we begin to serve, he's so ordained it that there's joy in serving and we can find hope and joy as we uh, turn to him in that. One more. 
God's love brought joy to the world, giving help to the helpless. I want to fast forward from the circumstances surrounding Jesus' birth to the launch of his ministry. Because when the angel said to the shepherd, bring you good news of a great joy, when Jesus launched his ministry, he talked about good news as well. He was the culmination of good news. I mean, he's baptized by John in the Jordan. He's tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And then he comes home to the hill country up in Galilee. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Now he's quoting from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel or good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. It's hard to conceive how they would have responded to that message. They knew him. He was related to many of them in that small village of Nazareth. And he's quoting that, and then he finishes. He hands the scroll back to the attendant and says, Today, this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Well, they were enthralled with this, but then he knew what was in their hearts. And he said, I suppose you'll quote to me that a prophet uh, is without, that a physician, physician heal yourself. He said, uh, a prophet is without honor in his own land. And then he began to tell them about the prophets who've come to Israel who've been rejected. And they went from excitement over this proclamation of good news to outrage. And they took him outside of that synagogue and they were going to push him off the cliff that Nazareth is built upon. Boy, that was a turn of events. But he went through their midst and as the narrative continues, we see a string of miracles take place. He heals a man who's been crippled. He, he delivers a, a man who's been captive to greed, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, from his just uh, captivity to money. He heals a man in Jericho who's been blind from birth. And then there are ten lepers that come to him, and they're all set free. So he's proclaiming good news for the poor and the captive and the oppressed, and they're finding it if they're responding to his offer here. And that message is still in effect. He still has good news for the poor. And we see it in the lives of impoverished people that we visit in various places on short-term mission trips. They may not have anything, but they are filled with joy because they know Jesus. It isn't money or wealth that's going to buy us joy. It's a relationship with him. He's still setting captives free. People that are addicted to drugs and alcohol and pornography or codependent relationships or, or anything else, he still sets captives free if people turn to him. He's still giving sight to the blind. Yes, even physically, but spiritually for sure. We've had blind spots in our lives, and when we turn to the Lord, He helps us to see that, wow, what He's doing and who people are around us and the value of those people. And those who are oppressed, maybe, uh, maybe they feel oppressed in their marriage relationship or in their job. 
and that supervisor is just intolerable or whatever. And, and it's like we feel oppressed in those circumstances and sometimes we want release from that. But we have to be careful here. Let me tell you a story. You know, Christmas cards have changed through the years. I mean, when I was a little kid, I remember those letters that people actually write to people at Christmas time and stick it into a Christmas card. And then through many decades, there were the form letters that came. And now it's usually just a card with a you know, picture of the family or the kids on it, which is, which is great. But those form letters were interesting. And it was kind of like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. You never knew what you were going to get in those. And one particular letter that we received many years ago when we were in Hawaii Kai came from a family that had moved to the mainland. And uh, this guy was frustrated with his job. We knew that. Uh, but she wrote that, wow, something amazing had happened. That uh, he'd been looking for a sign as to maybe that he should leave that job, kind of like the shepherds received a sign here. Um, promised by the angels. But she said the, the miracle of that Christmas was he had walked into a store, not only of cards changed, but songs have changed too. And this was a song popular back then, country and western song. He walked into a store and he heard the song blaring, take this job and shove it. And he said, thank you, Lord, I can leave my job. And then, well, we have to be careful, folks. Sometimes we can convince ourselves that God's given us a sign when really we need to pay attention to his word and his spirit and line ourselves with what God wants us to do. And sometimes, folks, it's not that we're to bail out of that marriage or that job or that difficult relationship that we're in, whatever it might be, or that financial challenge that we've got. We're not to declare bankruptcy. No, we're, we're to trust the Lord and walk through that circumstance because he wants to change us in the process. He'll be with us. That's Emmanuel, God with us. And uh, so instead of looking for a quick release, sometimes he releases us in a different way by setting us free to be who he called us to be. Max Lucado said, I refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God. Can you imagine how that would change our perspective? If every problem is, this is an opportunity to see God. And uh, we look at life differently. God's love changes everything. God loves, God's love gives light to those who are in the darkness. Hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless. And if you feel any of those this season, don't despair. Respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit, move closer to the Lord and begin to follow him in whatever way he prompts you this season. And you'll find that light and that hope and that help. But here's the thing. He doesn't want us to hold on to that for ourselves, does he? He wants to extend that to others. And so here's my challenge to you this morning. I want you to pray this week and ask the Lord as you receive his light and his hope and his help, to show you another person that needs just that. And then do something intentional in that person's life to, to bring in that light and that hope and that help. And along the way, I believe, 
you'll experience more of Jesus because we'll see what love has done. Let's pray together. Lord, we're so grateful that you have come to deliver us, that you've come with good news, that your birth was good news, but that your life is good news, your ministry is good news of great joy in our lives. Lord, help us not to feel guilty when we're down, but rather to be prompted just to turn to you and walk in hope and faith and experience increasingly the joy that you want to pour into our lives. And help us to share that with one another as we encourage one another through this season and beyond. I pray in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen.